Okay. Welcome to Cheat the Camera and a special episode indeed. This is JD Henning and I am here today with a good friend of mine, Talis Moore, uh, to talk about a thing that is actually not anything about short films. Talis, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do related to filmmaking and storytelling in general. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. You know, I've been listening since the very beginning and it's great <laughs> to finally uh, be, be with you here. Um, so yeah, I've worked on a few films either as, you know, bit parts or bit roles behind the scenes, uh, you know, holding up smoke machines so that they go in at the right angle to a building, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, but I also am, am something of a writer. I, I do, as somewhere between a hobby and a passion, um, write a, a bunch of words now and then. Uh, yeah. That he does. Oh, and my phone went off. This I hope that this doesn't become a recurring gag. It's not intentional on my part. Uh, yeah, but uh, Talis and I uh, have written a couple of uh, scripts together, including uh, Portal Runner, which is a feature-length film that probably by the time this comes out will have come out, so I think you should all watch it. Yeah. And I wanted to bring him on today, uh, aside from the fact that, you know, he's my good friend and we like chatting, to talk a little bit about a um, sort of an essay written by one of the great luminaries of short stories, uh, Flannery O'Connor. Uh, and she wrote this uh, little... Uh, essay, it was originally a speech that she gave at some college workshop called uh, Writing Short Stories, which I thought would be relevant for a discussion of short films as they are related mediums. Um, and yeah, I wanted to bring Talis on uh, so that we could chat rather than me just monologuing more and more. That's not actually what this project <laughs> is supposed to be about, but I have the suspicion that might end up happening more than I really want it to. Anyways, regardless, uh, writing short stories, what did you think of it? Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think my favorite thing about it, at least going in, was what a jerk she is. <laughs> uh, I, she has this bite to her that, that I really enjoy. She sort of starts off by saying, you know, uh, I don't understand why people keep wanting to talk about short stories. It's the most <laughs> natural thing in the world. It's what the first thing children hear on their mother's laps and all of this and, and then she goes on to say you know, well after reading some of your short stories I'm forced to admit that maybe it's it's kind of difficult or at least some are better at it than others um, yeah and I think that actually is a, a useful lead-in too because I often find that sort of the theory of writing or um, guides to writing or talking about writing it you know there, there's so many words spilled on the subject that I find very few of them to be useful um, or they often rely on pretty broad sort of rules and I think it's really easy to find really effective stories that are strong exceptions to any given rule. Um, but I think she has some, some really interesting things to say about the art of the short story that I think we can get into for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and one of the things that she says early on actually kind of as a follow-up to her statement basically that, well, some of you really need a lot of help learning how to write <laughs> is essentially that, uh, here's the quote, the ability to create life with words is essentially a gift. If you have it in the first place, you can develop it. If you don't have it, you might as well forget it, <laughs> uh, which is 
ooh, it would have been hard to be sitting in that classroom. Oh, and yeah. she was uh, she was basically saying, you just don't have it. You shouldn't even try to get this thing that you're majoring <laughs> in. That would have been rough. Um, do you think that that is on some level true when it comes to writing just in general or writing screenplays? I, I think there's something to that. I, I think maybe to put a slightly nicer gloss on it is that the real teachable thing, the real um, the thing that you can improve on as a writer has a lot to do with like building habits with doing you know I, I think the one thing that a writing teacher can do is both help you develop good habits and prune you of your bad habits um, and that's mm -hmm. some of what she does in this she goes into yeah. some sort of practices that she find developed good habits in herself like she mentions that a lot of good writers she knows know paint as a way to yeah. hone their ability to appreciate detail for I thought instance that was interesting um, yeah and, and she also goes into some bad habits you know for instance she goes into the fact that like all of her students despite all being from the south like none of them wrote from a perspective or a setting that was specifically southern you know yeah. I, I took that to mean that they all wrote characters who sort of spoke in that like <laughs> mid-atlantic newscaster style yeah. and didn't have anything totally. um, yeah and i think those are both good examples of yeah ways that you can bear down on what makes you an effective writer um, yeah 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 i i feel like i don't know i i believe that there are some people who just have a knack for telling stories and you know, the converse of that statement is that there are some people who just don't have the knack. There might be some a group of people who are kind of in the middle, mm -hmm. who might have enough that they can develop it into sort of that gift. I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if it comes down from on high deus ex machina uh, or not, but I do think, yeah, I, I definitely have watched some short films and read some uh, scripts where it's just, it's just clear this person they just don't have what it takes, uh, at least in my opinion. But then occasionally I'll read a, a, a script uh, and I'll think, man, I don't know why anybody would like this. And then I'll find out that it's like on the blacklist and, you know, Will Ferrell's attached to star in it and right. he's executive. So, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity to this sort of stuff. So maybe I shouldn't I shouldn't speak too broadly. But but, but I think these practices and habits and, and exercising this skill has to be effective. I mean, the proof mm -hmm. is in the pudding. If mm -hmm. you read mm -hmm. any like famous writer's really early work, it's not gonna be as good as some of the stuff totally. they do later. I mean, you know, there are some poets who hit their stride really early, but even them, if you go to like the very first stuff they were <laughs> writing, not as good. Not not so great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th there definitely is something to be said for honing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember listening to some, was it Mozart who supposedly was writing whole symphonies at the age of nine or something like that? But anyways, uh, you know, that may well be true, uh, but those aren't his symphonies that we listen to now. You know, yeah. there was there was a lot of, I think that the idea that, yeah, you can get better at it is certainly real. There's not some, there's not some sort of intangible trait that is impossible to improve upon some, you know, granite obelisk in your soul that <laughs> cannot be added to or subtracted from when it comes to s storytelling in general, writing specifically, or making short films. I mean, I think when it comes to the, the film aspect of this, uh, to try to translate it across, yeah. there is just so much craft 
depth and nuance and you know everything from learning how to operate the same camera better to learning how to operate different cameras to learning how to work with actors and you know for that matter anybody else in the crew all of those things are on some level uh, skills uh, that you that you grow that you improve upon over time you know there might be some some latent you know spark that you have that you need to have to build upon but at some level a lot of these things are teachable and learnable when 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 you widen it out to the scope of like making a whole movie there's just so much to learn it's it's impossible to learn everything yeah i imagine this honing is even more true of the art of filmmaking just because there's there is as you say this vast web of interconnected and extremely important often very technical skills that yeah. apply yeah for sure it is possible to operate a camera really badly it's possible to learn how to operate the same camera better. And yeah. That's just learning. You can learn that for sure. And, yeah. and even if the skill is just like meeting and hiring people who know how to do this yeah. thing very well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Even just, yeah, knowing people is a huge amount of filmmaking. I mean, this is the, as opposed to writing where you're just scrunched in front of a keyboard for hours mumbling to yourself, filmmaking is all about knowing the right people and knowing how to work with them and you know how many famous partnerships are there in in filmmaking you know scorsese and De, and de niro and mm -hmm. that's actually the only one i can think of <laughs> but you know it, just you know if you and and those partnerships those friendships because i assume on some level there's a mutual respect for one another that mm -hmm. goes into that that grows over time you know and and thus your your projects become better as time goes on not absolutely not you know? yeah yeah yeah, did you have, it seems like you have a couple of things to thoughts yeah, for. Yeah, th there were just a couple of other um, sort of specific pieces of insight that I thought were interesting. Um, so Flannery O'Connor defines like a successful sh short story mm, as yeah. one that has a complete dramatic action, um, which is, I think, just vague enough to be true. <laughs> um, <clears throat> basically, what she means by that is that, I, I, or what I take she means by that is that there is the story opens up with some questions some meeting of characters some spark and then that mm -hmm. spark is revolved resolved uh, yeah that spark comes to a conclusion even if not all of the threads of the story are tied off necessarily totally um you know uh, to take examples of one of her stories um um the life you save could be your own starts off with this sort of dramatic standoff this sort of mystery of mm -hmm. this man who's identified as a tramp coming mm -hmm. to visit this old lady and this young woman and you don't really know why mm -hmm. any of them are there or what mm -hmm. they're after and mm -hmm. eventually the tramp sort of ends up marrying the girl and stealing the car and leaving the girl in a diner and that kind of resolves that initial question, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of mystery still left there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the, the trickier finesses of storytelling and one that I'm still really curious about is, you know, what makes that story successful or a, you know, what makes David Lynch successful mm -hmm. while a mm -hmm. show like Lost is just like all untied yeah. mysteries that never really resolve and there's some balance there that I'm really interested in. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. She actually, she references that very story in this little essay of hers, which 
Um, and she talks about how that got made into a TV movie. Yeah. And uh, sh she has no interest or respect for the TV movie, which is, I think, what always happens yeah. when a writer's project gets turned into a TV movie specifically. Like, that probably means it's going to be a hack job. Unfortunately, there's often not enough money to get the artistic talent to make something great. I'm sure, you know, for all of those probably hundreds of thousands of TV movie producers and directors out there listening to this right now, I'm sorry, and it's not about your project, but still, nevertheless, as she talks about how in, in that, uh, in the TV movie version, the tramp ends up having a change of heart and he picks up this, uh, this kind of dunce or, or uh, cognitively, uh, and dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, this person he married, and he and they go off together, uh, smiling like idiots. I think is what she says. And she says, "Well, that might work for a TV movie yeah. because you have to resolve that, but that's kind of the opposite of what is necessary for that story to work." And I think that there's probably some truth to that. Yeah, I, he, he the adapter took all of those interesting frayed ends and tied them into the neatest bow possible. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And, and I think there is something unique to the art of the short story that sort of demands a bit more mess to it in that yeah. sense. Um, yeah, and, and I, I keep coming back to when I'm reading for short stories that she does always open, and I think this is maybe the one thing about her that is most uh, translatable to a short mm -hmm. film, is that it does always open, often with a very, like, visual mystery um, yeah that's the, true the displaced person uh, also opens it, it comes into it with this woman who we eventually learn is a pretty terrible person um, <laughs> but she's sort of visually superimposed over a peacock like they're, they're sort of visually <laughs> confused in the opening yeah paragraphs in this really weird way it, it almost sounds like she wanted to make a short film but she was a short story writer so <laughs> this is what she's got yeah um and, and that ends up sort of hooking you right you're right. you're left thinking okay what what's exactly going on here or you know to take an example the uh, purple vision the right. short film mm -hmm. that we, uh your first episode was about like we have this very evocative visual mystery of mm -hmm. this serum, this mm -hmm. liquid that mm -hmm. seems to be having some effect on people, yeah. and that is what hooks us initially. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think, I think that the sh yeah short films, because of the very nature of the medium, um, they're going. You know, you get a pass when it comes to solving all of the story questions at some level. I, so to kind of think from my perspective, I tend to I tend to write features, feature screenplays as uh, in sort of almost the Pixar school where all of the big questions have to be answered and most of the most of the story arcs have to resolve. And you know, Pixar, it, they're almost like aerodynamic in that yeah. all of the hard edges are worn away, and it's it is like cotton candy cocaine or something you know everything is just specifically engineered over a hundred thousand iterations to be as perfectly tuned as possible to get just the right response you know the variations on the design of woody or the variations on the conclusion for frozen or any of these things yeah. that have the pixar imprint on them they're almost 
perfectly designed to be almost totally universal and, and amazing. It's basically the opposite of what Flannery O'Connor does, I think. Yeah, I, um, I think that's right. Yeah, they are the diving ospreys of film. They're just <laughs> perfect, honed to a specific task. Exactly, you know? yeah. And I love it. Uh, but I also love Flannery O'Connor stories. And I think that in a short film, you it can be a little bit more shaggy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and short stories in particular with their they tend to have like a specific word limit if you're sending it out to a periodical at least that's my understanding not that i really know but i'm just gonna pretend that that's true <laughs> um also uh yeah and and short films have the same sort of limitations particularly if you're looking at festivals you'll hear advice there's nothing hard and fast but you hear advice that it's more likely that it'll get programmed if it's under such and such time that sort of thing and so you get some shagginess but i actually feel like the visual medium, at least, at least maybe for that general audience, they do want things to be a little bit more. They they want that main story point to be to be tied up by mm -hmm. the end of the short. Do, what do you think? I think that's true. I, I do think it is more than just an artifact of the medium, though. I think it is something deliberate and useful in the sense that you know, if you are telling a short story or making a short film and you only have ten pages or 10 minutes to make an impression mm -hmm. um, a good way to really stick with the audience is to leave them chewing on it as they mm -hmm. exit from the story to mm -hmm. leave something that is not resolved that is still needs to be answered uh, now certainly you don't want it to be totally up in the air nothing is resolved right. just a, a mess of story goo um, right but I think there is something to be said for having, um, yeah, I, I, mess keeps coming to my head, but I don't think it's mess. I think that's maybe the wrong word. Right. Um, rough edges. Yeah, yeah, some oh, uh, some leftover interest. Some you know? space to fill in with yeah. your own mind. Yeah, um, yeah, what happens to them the next day? What happens to the yeah. secondary character? That sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting because one, I think, there are different there are sort of different types of short films and, and you know aside from genre there are basically different purposes that people have for making them uh, some people will make their short film as a complete unit uh, sort of the complete dramatic unit that Flannery O'Connor mm. is talking about uh, where it is it, it might have stuff questions that isn't answered uh, but it, it is complete in and of itself and then there are a lot of short films where the person, they really want, you know, to get this character or this idea kickstarted. I mean, literally sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, let's show it to the stakeholders. Let's get a producer interested. Let's make, you know, my uh, pancake superhero project into a thing. So I'm going to make a proof of concept sort of a thing. Yeah. So the proof of concept idea, I think that it diverges from... A, helpful advice to some extent because yeah you want to end on the beat but you also want to make sure that that character is able to go on or it's more of like it, it's a it, it's a teaser uh, as much as it is a complete project in and of itself you know it's almost yeah. a cold open to a bigger project sometimes um, yeah well and, and I think to have like these interesting premises these opening mysteries these mm -hmm. sort of wild ideas I to get into another point of hers, um, I think the point 
at the end of the day, is really to illuminate the characters. And mm -hmm. Flannery O'Connor says in this that she lends some short stories to a, a, a Southern woman friend of hers, and mm -hmm. the, the Southern mm -hmm. woman gives it back and just says, well, them stories just gone and showed how some folk would do. And Flannery O'Connor really enjoyed that, <laughs> and I did too, because I, I feel like that is a really good indicator of a successful story. It, it's sort of what I go to stories for is to get outside of my own skull um, right. and get into someone else's skull, whether that be right. the character or the writer, um, right. but ideally the character. Um, yeah. And so I think when we have these opening mysteries, these premises, the real utility out of them, once you've set it up and hooked the reader or the watcher is to just let them pry open your characters' skulls. Right. Uh, I, I think that's the success of, you know, the wildly popular, like, uh, Hunger Games or Battle Royale or Maze Runner-type genre is that they have mm -hmm. this uh, absurd, over-the-top premise. Right. The stakes are wildly high. Right. And then they have, you know, 20 or so characters who all interact with that premise in different ways mm -hmm. and respond to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah in different violent ways often. <laughs> yeah, um, are you a hero? Are you a coward? Are yeah. you a follower? Are you a leader? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we live vicariously through our characters, especially, you know, I mean, it's like Breaking Bad, you know, where probably the somewhat moralistic uh, southern, southern lady friend of Flannery O'Connor wouldn't enjoy that sort of story, but... It's certainly been very popular, and it's this whole genre of, of prestige television with characters who are constantly shooting themselves in the foot mm -hmm. over and over again. And it, the question is, why are they doing it? And, why, and, and it, it's creating this, this continuing interest level in, uh, in the character. And that, yeah, I think that there is, like, you know, maybe that's not... Maybe that doesn't get you very far when you're making CSI or mm. some other crime procedural where you want the, the righteous main character who always makes sure that the good thing happens. But I feel like for a short film, you're probably not, you're not aiming it at a general audience. I, short films shouldn't be aimed at general audiences. They should be aimed at a very specific sort of idea because they're not commercially practicable. Like, you might as well swing for the fences with a short film, is my, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and as opposed to a law and order or something, you can absolutely sort of character assassinate your characters. What do you got to lose? They're not coming back. You know, you yeah. can raise the earth, uh, do whatever is most interesting, most dramatic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, um, so, do, 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 I have thoughts. Um, ah. So this is something that uh, in that Flannery O'Connor says about short short stories is that uh, being short does not mean being slight. A short story should be long in depth and should give us an experience of meaning. Hmm. And and that experience of meaning thing, I I'm not sure what I think about this in reference to a short film. Yeah, is it possible to make a good short film that is shallow? I think that it's actually <laughs> very possible. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, there are a uh, hundred million uh, music videos, which are at least yeah. roughly analogous to short 
films, and uh, they might. It might be the most beautiful bubblegum candy experience that you have, and then you forget about it two, two minutes later. And I, I think that there's some level of truth that you can have a good shallow, like we're in, in the false dichotomy between art and entertainment. It might be very heavy on the entertainment and very light on the art. Mm. But I think that that's okay on some level. Like if you just want to make eye candy, um, and you have the means to do so. I'm not sure that I should be telling you not to make eye candy if you just really want to make something really pretty that doesn't last. I don't know if that's wrong. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you can have all sorts of different purposes here. And Flannery O'Connor is writing towards this sort of high literary goal. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can have anything in between. You know, I love a Flannery O'Connor short story. I love a flash video of a strong bad email you know it, <laughs> it can be anywhere on this spectrum right. and still be effective i think yeah. as long as you know what your goal is yeah that's really what it comes down to it's it's what your goal is um for her yeah you're right it's 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 funny flannery o'connor sort of she she roundly mocks uh high art sort of literati sort mm -hmm. of people but her her stories are aimed at being art. They're aimed at having meaning that outlasts, you know, more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. It's parts sort of a thing. And, uh, you know, so that is art. I think if, if we're going to make a really kludgy definition of art versus entertainment, art is supposed to last. Yeah. It's supposed to give you a meaning that is greater than the sum of its parts. And entertainment is, is kind of supposed to be something that you can, you know, kick up your feet and and just sort of be entertained by for a little while. And I don't think that, that's not like wrong. It's not yeah. wrong to make something just because you thought it was funny and your friends were over, so you just decide to do this funny thing yeah. and that's your short film. And as you say, it is a false dichotomy. You Absolutely. There are plenty of examples of pieces that do both really, really well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, th I think, I mean, personally, that's what I would prefer to yeah. do. Something highly entertaining, but also sticks with that, you. That's the key. But, but she also, I think, complicates this model of having this sort of lasting meaning by saying later that any story where you can sort of piece out what the theme is and that is entirely defined by this theme, you know, you untangle it and there's this nice little package theme there, can't be a good story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think that is a trap that um, some early writers can get into of this sort of overly direct, right. you know, this is the message that I am sending, you yeah. know, the sort of um, maybe Ayn Rand style, you know, the story right. ends in this big monologue of someone. Um, yeah. Or, or it's also, I think, related to another um, sort of young writer trap that she uh, gets into where the stories are full of emotion but you can't quite tell whose emotion it is it might not be really <laughs> attached to a character it might just be that this writer was feeling this thing very right. deeply and right. didn't really complicate it beyond that which i know is a trap that i got into in my early writing you know if i was yeah. just in a really depressed dark place i would write a really depressed dark thing but there wouldn't actually be any more to it than that right right yeah and i think yeah, I think that is that is certainly a trap for anybody who's who's telling a story where it becomes more about the message mm -hmm. than it is about your interest in the medium itself. Uh, and yeah, so coming from sort of a religious background, uh, you know, 
I definitely wrote some really bad and made some really bad short films and short projects that are kind of beat you over the head. You know, it's very prescriptive and not at all descriptive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a lot Good of interest in that. the yeah. yeah, yeah. No interest in the character, no interest in their emotions. They're just they're just convenient props that I can use to bludgeon you with the with the message that I want to send, and that's not good. Yeah, high school um, drug PSAs, exactly. that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did some stuff that was about that bad, <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know, yeah, I, I I imagine that everybody's got to get that out of the system at some level, even if you still want to, you know, I think Breaking Bad on some level. Or, or even better, Requiem for a Dream is probably one of the better anti-drug PSAs mm. because it just makes the horror of, of you know, hard, uh, hard drug usage really, really evident. Uh, but the reason that it sticks and the reason that, you know, people might still be interested in watching Requiem for a Dream is because the characters are interesting and what they do and how they react is, is, is really kind of fascinating, even in its even in its deep level of horror. Have you seen that? I actually have not. Oh, well, if you want to be horrified, you should watch it. It's one of those movies. Yeah, you only want to watch it once probably, but it's worth <laughs> watching once. <laughs> um, yeah, I have one or two other thoughts. Do you have any other kind of no, concluding thoughts? It. Okay. Um, so it's interesting in, uh, to, let's get into the craft just a little bit. She talks about how she writes and She's fairly prescriptive in how she talks about, like, this is how, I think, I think she's kind of positioning and like, this is how I write, this is how, kind of, this is common for how good writers write, which is that she has no idea where she's going to end up when she mm. starts writing. Mm -hmm. uh, she tells this little anecdote about, um, she has this story of a character and they have a wooden leg and throughout the course of the story, the wooden leg ends up becoming quite thematically significant. But when she started writing it, she had no idea. She just thought it was kind of interesting. And she's writing from moment to moment, and it ends up being this thing, which, I, which I'm kind of amazed by because I could never, yeah. ever write anything like that and have it mean anything at all. <laughs> Probably the characters would end up saying what I would be thinking as I was writing, which is like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I here? Yeah, that, that's what I would do. Do you think from a craft perspective of writing a story that that is that that is the best way or that that is the only way or what what are your thoughts about that so this is where i get into like a fundamental frustration i have with all sort of writing about writing which is almost invariably it comes to a point of saying well this is the way i write and this is the only way to correctly write and yeah. i think every writer finds different ways to go mm -hmm. about this um I actually do find that, you know, I, I never get a whole lot out of outlining. Like, I'll, I'll often define the end of my stories really well mm -hmm. and the beginning of them really well mm -hmm. and then fill them in as I go. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know people who painstakingly outline everything. Mm -hmm. I know people who, you know, like Flannery, just start going. Mm -hmm. And I think... However you make a successful story, I don't think you can be too prescriptive with this sort of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I, I am amazed that people can just kind of write without knowing what's happening. I mean, for me, the bullet point outline is my safety blanket, mm -hmm. you know. Even if it doesn't actually help, it gives me perhaps a false feeling of safety. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. 
I write essentially the opposite of how she prescribes writing. And I think on some level, it's not about the fact that she's uh, a short story author and I write features. Uh, I think it has more to do with just the idiosyncrasies of the person's personality, you know? And I think it has to do with your goals, too, as we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you could never write a Pixar movie in this style, right? Pixar movies, mm -hmm. I, I would bet a million bucks that they are painstakingly outlined and every mm -hmm. beat is storyboarded out mm -hmm. very early in the process. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I'm sure it's, yeah, the iterative process is helpful for some mediums. You know, if you're gonna be spending enormous amounts of money animating something mm -hmm. you can't not know where it's going to go it's just there's a in a literal sense for a lot of these big projects there are literal stakeholders i mean people <laughs> who actually hold stock in the company that you work for right. who need to be able to be comforted by knowing and maybe it is just i there's this story from jennifer lee who was uh, i think the primary writer behind frozen which is a Pixar, I, I mean, it's a Disney film technically, but it's a Pixar film ultimately. Uh, and she apparently, months into the process of Frozen, when they, were, when they had begun animating it, she realized that Elsa and Anna needed to be sisters. When oh. originally, yeah, which is the whole conceit of yeah. the project. Yeah, but that came in very late in the process and she basically made her case uh, to, uh, I think, Pete Docter, and he said, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Let's do it, which is kind of incredible. Yeah, but I mean, this comes from a, a long film tradition, I guess. At least she didn't wait for the sequel to realize that the main character was siblings, <laughs> as George Lucas did. <laughs> true uh, enough. True enough. Yeah, yeah. But it is it is one of those things, you know. The more, and I think with with filmmaking, even if you're doing some sort of project with you and your buddies on the weekend you still have to get other people interested and excited and convinced yeah. to do it. If you're writing something on your own, the only, generally speaking, the only person who you have to uh, please is yourself. Um, but when you have, you know, the cinematographer and the, uh, you know, and the actors and the producers, or even if these people are just your friends, they still have a stake and they still have a say. So it's a conversation rather than a monologue. And in a monologue, you can change course halfway through. In a conversation, if you do that, people are liable to be confused or upset with you. And I, I do think that that is a distinction. Uh, uh, but at some level, it is, you know, if you have the authorial ability to Jennifer Lee it and change the relationships halfway through, then maybe that's what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. If okay. it's necessary. But yeah, it is a matter of stakes here. Short stories are pretty low stakes. If you write a short story and it's a dud, then, you know. Who really cares? Who really cares? Then yeah. If you write the next one and it's great, that's all people will remember. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Well, thank you for chatting. I think that this has been an interesting conversation. Hopefully it's been interesting for everybody listening. I definitely would recommend uh, reading this little essay uh, by Flannery O'Connor. Did we if say the name of the essay? I'm pretty sure I did. That. Okay, let I'm me make that. Sure. Let me make that perfectly clear. This is called Writing Short Stories by Flannery O'Connor. You can find it, I think, in a variety of contexts. It's in her, it's in a collection of her essays called Mystery and Manners. That's where I found it. I think it's, I think even if you disagree with most of it, it'll probably shape how you disagree in an interesting way. <laughs> it's good to bounce off of. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
Well, uh, thanks, Talis. And uh, this has been another episode of Cheat the Camera. If you are interested in getting in touch with me, you can uh, email me at mm, contact at cheatthecamera.com. Uh, and you can go ahead and rate and review on iTunes or whatever listening platform you found this on. Thank you so much, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for having me.